And let's turn to the book of Micah. Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Tonight we begin uh, one of the minor prophets by the name of Micah. Immediately after uh, Jonah, which we finished off last time, uh, I was uh, uh, here with you. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morasheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he really says quite a mouthful there in, in the opening verse to set the stage for uh, the entire book and the entire series of three prophecies that uh, Micah uh, speaks on behalf uh, of the Lord. Micah's name means who is like uh, Jehovah or who is like the Lord. Uh, we're told that he comes from Morshath of Gath and uh, about 25 miles south uh, west of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah will a hundred years later in his prophecy refer to Micah in his own uh, prophecies as coming from uh, that same city. And uh, Micah not only would uh, ultimately be uh, quoted in his prophecy by Jeremiah the prophet, but even by Jesus himself in uh, the New Testament. Micah chapter 7 verse 6 Jesus quoted it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be uh, those of his own household. And we'll look uh, more extensively at that when, when we get to um, uh, chapter 7 of Micah. The time of the prophecies given to us as well. It occurred during the reigns of uh, the southern kings in, in Judah. Israel at this time in its history is divided into a northern kingdom, Israel, a southern kingdom uh, of Judah. And uh, so he uh, prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So about 740 uh, B.C. to 687 B.C. He prophesied about 10 to 20 years before uh, the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel into the hands uh, of, of the Assyrians. And, um, and uh, though he uh, uh, prophesied during the reigns of Pekah and others in the southern, uh, northern kingdom of Israel, he doesn't mention them. He mentions his uh, uh, though he prophesies to the southern kingdom of Judah, he also prophesies to the northern kingdom of Israel of their coming uh, judgment, their coming demise, but he only refers to himself in the context of the kings of the southern kingdom. And uh, perhaps because uh, Israel had become so wicked uh, under the leadership of their kings at that time, he couldn't uh, bring himself to even mention their names as a, a means of determining uh, the, the timing uh, for uh, the prophecies. His contemporaries were uh, Hosea, uh, who prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel at the same time, and uh, Isaiah, who, like Micah, prophesied uh, to, to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so his message uh, primarily to Judah, but again, uh, very much speaking to the northern kingdom of Israel of the problems that were going to come their ways in, way in the form of God's judgment. The theme of the book is the uh, prophesying of those two judgments, the northern kingdom of Israel ultimately at the hands of the Assyrians, uh, Judah sometime later, a hundred years later, at the hand uh, of the Babylonians. And he speaks to uh, both of those kingdoms of the reasons for God's judgment. And uh, the reasons that he lays out were all very clearly laid out by God as a condition for receiving the land of Israel by the Jews as uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, if you'll obey my commandments, I will bless you and you'll remain in the land. If you disobey my commandments, then I will judge you and remove you from the land. So nothing that happens to them is something uh, that was uh, kind of a, f a flash, you know, God just got angry all of a sudden. This is something that anyone that had been reading the law uh, of Moses, reading the book of Deuteronomy, would have been able to look around at their culture and say, 
we're in very, very deep trouble because the covenant upon which we occupy this land, we're violating it from uh, one uh, end of it uh, to the others. Micah is really, um, uh, uh, he's loved for many reasons, the, the book of Micah and his prophecy. But one of the things that we see continually in this book is the heart of God for the poor and for the powerless and how they were being uh, greatly oppressed uh, by uh, the rich and the powerful, ungodly rich and powerful. You can be godly and rich and powerful, but the ungodly rich and powerful um, at the time. And this is a, a great affront. There is no quicker way to get into God's doghouse uh, uh, than to use whatever power or whatever wealth we may have. And rec recognizing that Americans, we are very powerful and wealthy by virtue of our standard of living compared to most of the world. But to use that in any way to take advantage of those that uh, are, uh, have less money than we have or less position than we have. And, and God uh, uh, notices that, and it really, really bothers him, as we'll see as we go uh, uh, through uh, the book. And so uh, we begin with God talking about the judgment that he is going to bring upon Israel and upon Judah in verse 2. Hear all you peoples, and here he's talking to the Gentile nations. Listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from His holy temple. So again, the imagery, as is so often with these prophetic books in the Old Testament, is of a courtroom. And God is going to, as we'll see in a moment, going to descend from heaven, the imagery of it, in order to come into this kind of earthly uh, courtroom, and he is going to lay out through Micah his charges against the northern kingdom and southern kingdom uh, 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 of, of their violation of the covenant there in Deuteronomy, and he's calling upon the nations of the world, uh, the Gentile nations now, uh, to judge whether he has a reason to judge them in the light of, of, his, uh, of his word. And so God is indicating that the case that he's about to lay out for the judgment of the northern and southern kingdom is one that is so strong and indisputable uh, that even the pagan nations would agree uh, with his, uh, the just, uh, justness of, of his judgment. And so uh, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah are uh, represented as the defendants here. Uh, the peoples are, uh, the Gentile peoples are the witnesses, and God is, is the prosecuting attorney and judge. The Lord uh, is going to do so from His holy temple, for behold, verse 3, the Lord is coming out of His place, and He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. And so, He's going to personally preside over uh, this uh, trial, and, uh, and, uh, as a, and testify against them. He is an eyewitness to all of their wrongdoing. It is amazing to me as I think about uh, the world, and, and I mean, we see what uh, we see in the world, what we're exposed to in the world, um, and, and then even in terms of our news sources or how much we keep up with trends in terms of what's going on in the world, and you can lay out all of the sins and the different things that uh, are going on. And, uh, but uh, you, you, the list would, could go on and on and on uh, forever. You take uh, today uh, the human trafficking that is going on, the sex uh, trafficking that is going on in the world, that is such a dominant activity around the world and has become so strong uh, that governments lack either the, the desire to or the, the motivation to or an unwillingness to apply the uh, resources of governments from Europe to the United States to all over the place to crack down on it and bring it to an end. It's an entire side of the world that is out of sight to us, but God sees it all. He sees everything that goes on, and He saw everything that was going on uh, in, in the nation. I never want to stand before God as my judge. Uh, I think he has a very good case for judging me and judging any of us. 
And thankfully, because Jesus has borne our sins as Christians, we will never stand before Him uh, with Him as our, our judge, but Jesus will be uh, our Savior in that, that setting. And, and so uh, here He comes down to judge, and He's described as leaving His holy temple. And, uh, and the, remember the temple that was uh, uh, put together there in Jerusalem was a model of the heavenly scene uh, as it, it, the instructions were given to, uh, to Moses for the building of it. And so he leaves his dwelling place in heaven in order to now uh, judge uh, his, his people. And you notice that God is so great as he is described here coming uh, as a judge that he's coming out of his place and he will come down to tread on the high places of the earth. God is so high, he is so exalted in this poetic language as it puts it, um, that he must condescend in a way that we can't even begin to understand to even come into contact with the highest mountains uh, upon the earth and heaven infinitely uh, beyond that. And the mountains will melt under him as he comes in this judgment, speaking of how irresistible God's judgment uh, is and will be. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split like wax before the fire. And uh, what kind of a chance does wax have before fire? Uh, it gives way. It yields to fire. It melts before fire. has no power to withstand it. They would have no power to withstand God's judgment. And like waters poured down from a steep place. And so, if you've ever, ever been to a place where, um, and there, these are common places in uh, Israel, these wadis that only run for uh, a, a handful of times in the course of a, of a year out in the Judean wilderness where the water comes in, the great rain, and the water just flushes down uh, off of the mountains in a, a great torrent, washing the roads away. Every time you go to Israel and you go to the area of the Dead Sea, they've had to rework the roads because the year before uh, they've been washed out. And so when water plunges down with that kind of power and it's irresistible in the same way His judgment uh, is going to uh, come. And all of this <clears throat> is for the reason here, the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Very often when you see the word transgression in the Old Testament and you see the word sin, transgression and sin, is, this, uh, is there a difference between the two? Uh, transgression, it, most often in the Old Testament, it speaks of deliberate sin. Uh, it, it is to know better and to do it anyway. And that was the case with the children of Israel. They had the law. They had uh, God's mind concerning how they were to live, the witness they were to be for Him uh, in the world. And they were deliberately transgressing uh, against it, and God was going to come to judge that as well as the sins of the house of Israel. And he asks the, que asks the question, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not uh, Jerusalem? So Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, Samaria the capital of the northern kingdom uh, of Israel. And instead of being the centers for righteousness, uh, the centers, these capitals of uh, cities of God's people, the Jewish people in the ancient world, being a capital for righteousness and an influence for righteousness, they had um, become places that were the centers uh, for uh, idolatry. Every portion of the cities were, were filled with uh, their idols, and that's what uh, they were about. God names Samaria uh, before Judah here, again, because Samaria, the northern kingdom's capital, was much further along in its progression of sin. There's a reason for that that we'll get to later, but much further along than, than Judah, they would be judged first a hundred years before uh, Judah, but both of them were uh, moving in, in that that uh, same uh, direction. Well, we'll just uh, touch on it now. The, the, one of the reasons that the southern kingdom of Judah was judged a hundred years 
though very, very guilty of the same sins as the northern kingdom of Israel, one of the reasons for that is that the sin hadn't developed on, on quite that same level. And one of the reasons is because the southern kingdom of Judah had godly kings occasionally. The northern kingdom of Israel never had one godly king in their, uh, in their entire history. And we know from uh, elsewhere in the major prophets that when these, uh, these uh, prophets came and they spoke to Jerusalem and they prophesied to God on behalf of God in the southern kingdom of Judah, that occasionally the kings would listen to him. There were godly kings like Josiah, a godly king at this very time by the name of Hezekiah. He mentions him there. And Hezekiah uh, heard the word of God. He heard, uh, saw the, 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 uh, the culture, the land that he was ruling over, the country that he was ruling over, in the light of the prophecies and, and the, the covenant of, of uh, Deuteronomy. And he said, we're in trouble. Uh, we're on the wrong side of this cursing, blessing thing with God. And he tears his clothes, and he goes into the, uh, to seek the Lord, and he, and, he, and he lays out before the Lord, and he repents, and a, a revival breaks out under him. It was a surface revival, but it was just one man uh, realizing the condition that they were in, turning, and because Judah had some of those kings, uh, the, there was the delay of the judgment. It, it tells us that this kind of thing makes a difference in the context of wickedness. It can delay God's judgment as we would in our little place in the world, in our little sphere of influence in the world, um, make a stand for righteousness. It doesn't mean that the judgment that God describes in uh, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 isn't ultimately going to come uh, upon the world in His timing, uh, but that our influence can have an impact uh, upon when that kind of, uh, of thing can, can happen, that there can be uh, revivals in uh, the midst of, of all of it. And so he then speaks to them of the consequences of becoming uh, capital cities of idolatry rather than righteousness. He said, therefore, I will make Samaria, again, the capital of Israel, a heap of ruins in the field, places for uh, planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones uh, into the valley. I will uncover her foundations. And so, his judgment upon the city the ancient city of Samaria uh, sat, as cities so often did in the ancient world, uh, sat up on the crest of a hill and uh, overlooking uh, a valley and, uh, and the land below it. And so when the Assyrians came in to destroy, uh, in God's judgment, to destroy Samaria along with the northern kingdom of Israel, they simply toppled the walls and all of the building materials over the edge uh, of that uh, outcropping there, and, uh, and then the city was uh, left, uh, the, uh, the uh, stones, the, uh, 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 nothing left of the city at all, just uh, turned into uh, really kind of uh, uh, farmland. And so uh, he will pour down her stones into the valley, speaking of the totality of the judgment, uh, that uh, everything would be uh, t uh, broken down by the Assyrians right down uh, to uh, the foundations being destroyed. And then all of her carved images shall be beaten to pieces, and all her pay as a harlot shall be uh, burned with the fire. All her idols will lay desolate, for she uh, gathered it from the pay of the harlot, uh, that, uh, and they shall return to the pay of the harlot. So um, he, he uh, accuses them, he charges them, with uh, spiritual harlotry or spiritual prostitution. Uh, they were being unfaithful to God. The imagery in the Old Testament for the, uh, the people of Israel, that they were the wife of God. That was the imagery that God uh, used. And spiritually speaking, they were being unfaithful to God in that relationship in the same way, uh, creating the same pain for God as, the, as unfaithfulness is uh, when it's experienced in a, a marriage between a husband and, and a wife. And 
And so uh, this, uh, this worshiping of idols, that's how God uh, viewed it. But why did she engage in harlotry? Why did she leave being faithful to God and to His commandments and to uh, the relationship? And it was for the pay of the harlot. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, there was more money. There was more fun to be experienced, uh, it, it, or so they thought, in the northern kingdom of Israel by uh, jettisoning this intimacy of my relationship with God and then partaking of all of this idolatry and the sin associated uh, with it. So it was profitable to do that. You could get rich. You could uh, gain power. You could uh, 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 do all of these things uh, by engaging in, in this spiritual harlotry. And, and God uh, uh, speaks to them and says, everything you earned... Everything that you left me for to go into the world to gain, I'm going to take all of it from you. The day will come when everything you compromise the relationship with me for in order to gain, you will lose it all. And I've been a pastor for 35 plus years now, and I have seen it over and over and over again on an individual basis. And the Lord loves us enough to do that. He loved them enough to do that. What was going to pry them from uh, the path that they were on, except the difficult medicine that God was going to uh, have to uh, mete out to them. And, Jer and then uh, Micah here, as he is a prophet, he knows the people are wicked. He knows the northern and southern kingdom are wicked. He knows all of this is true from God. He, he is seeing it with his own eyes. He has a zeal uh, for God. And yet when he hears of this judgment that God says he's going to bring upon them, it created a mourning in him that it never produced within the culture. If the culture had responded to uh, the message of Micah the way that Micah responded to the message of Micah and didn't need to, there wouldn't have been a problem at all. And, and this is the challenge of opened eyes. This is the challenge of being a Christian, to being one of God's children uh, in this uh, world. We see things so clearly. We see things in a way that the world doesn't see things. We take things so much more seriously than the, the world does. And the, and the threat of judgment, the promise of judgment, that this thing can't go on forever. God will have uh, to uh, step in. And, and so we see it and, it, and it's hard to live in the culture that we live in. Uh, I'll speak for myself. It's hard to watch uh, a needless decline morally and spiritually occur that you know is going to translate and is already well developed into translating into a physical, emotional, mental decline and and. Uh, and Price that the culture is going to pay for what it is that's doing. And yet, for the longest time, it is the godly who mourn and the ungodly who don't mourn because they don't heed the message. But one day they will mourn when it takes them by surprise. And Micah isn't the kind of prophet who says, uh, who rejoices in that. He, he delivers the message uh, but it breaks his heart to see how needless uh, uh, this judgment was going to be. It was like Jeremiah. Jeremiah know, is known as the weeping prophet. And here for 40 years of, uh, of his, his public ministry, uh, 40 years of his life, he was forced to watch the slow death of a nation that was so unavoidable, and yet the people who had the power, the individual people, to turn back to judgment, wouldn't do it. Now that hurts the heart of a saint. That hurts the heart of any child of God or prophet that's forced to watch that, uh, the needlessness of it. 
And, and uh, Micah is in exactly that place. And so as he hears it, he says, therefore, I will wail and howl. He says, he says if they won't weep and cry, this makes me weep and cry. And wailing and howling speaks of how emotion, uh, how, how it, it, this impacted him emotionally. I will go stripped and naked. And it doesn't mean that, that he took all of his clothes off and walked around. Um, but uh, evidently he uh, took off either his outer robe uh, as a sign of mourning, or he took uh, his clothing off down to his waist, which was a, a sign uh, of mourning. He said, I will make a, a wailing like the jackals and a mourning uh, like the ostriches. And the idea is the ostriches uh, when they're separated from their eggs. Now, I don't know the, the last time uh, you heard the wailing of jackals. I don't, I, don't have, uh, I don't have any jackals in my neighborhood. Well, that guy two places down, the, I mean, in the two-story house. No, we don't really. So what I did today is I thought, well, okay, I ought to know something about what that sounds like. So where do you go? YouTube. And so I went and I, I wanted to hear the howling of jackals. Oh, you can spend the whole day listening to the howling of jackals on YouTube. But you talk about a pathetic, lamenting howl. I know you're all going to do it when you go home. And you listen. Listen to the one that's in uh, a minute and 29 seconds. It's one of the first ones that will come up. And, uh, and there's just, it just gives this quiet kind of uh, uh, African kind of uh, uh, scenery. Everything's quiet. You hear all of the other noises. And then the jackals begin to howl. And uh, it, it's really something. Now, um, the jackal that lives with my wife Karen and I, uh, Chip, he's, uh, so he's, a, he's a toy poodle. And, uh, but he heard it in the other room and became very, very agitated, barking. Uh, at it. We kept him out of the room. He'd be eaten. Even in the video would have eaten him, these jackals. And then you can listen to the ostriches. It's a, it's a very strong, uh, a sad lament that the, the animal uh, gives forth at the, at the loss of the eggs. And this is speaking about just he, he couldn't even contain uh, the, the, the sorrow in his heart of the needlessness of, of this. And, and uh, his, his agony being expressed uh, verbally. For her wounds, he said, are incurable. For it has come to Judah, and it has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. You might remember when we studied elsewhere in the Old Testament that when Assyria invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, they continued their invasion uh, of the land of Judah. But God had, had prophesied that Assyria would not take uh, Jerusalem or Judah, but the Assyrians came down, took all of the surrounding cities, laid siege to Jerusalem, and then God supernaturally uh, 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 killed 165 or 185,000 Assyrian soldiers by means of, of angelic being, and, uh, and uh, the Assyrians backed off out of of Judah. And so uh, here it is he's saying that they'll come right to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem, the Assyrians, but they will not take uh, the city. But the, the land itself would, uh, did pay a price. And then when he comes now into uh, verse 10, he comes into a very uh, kind of interesting uh, uh, section here of, of using uh, a play on words in terms of of, of the prophecy. In the Hebrew, it's kind of difficult to translate into English or really into any other, uh, other language. But he uses the various cities that were going to be uh, taken by the Assyrians, and he uses those names to describe that devastation that was going to come uh, to the southern kingdom of Judah uh, during that uh, Assyrian uh, invasion. And so in, uh, the, uh, uh, here in verse 10, all the way through uh, verse 12, he addresses uh, the towns that are north uh, of Jerusalem, and then in 13 through 15, towns that are in the south 
of Jerusalem, and he just communicates the, uh, God is trying every way that he can to communicate the devastation that is going to come upon them if they won't turn and they won't uh, repent. And so uh, uh, Micah saw a correspondence between the name of these cities and then the judgment that was coming. And so it's kind of a word game. It'd be like God, if God came and he wanted to pronounce judgment upon uh, Modesto for, uh, uh, for our sins, if we were in the same kind of conducts, he would say uh, something like, Modesto shall be judged for her pride. So Modesto means modest, and yet here's the play on the word. She's not modest at all. She's become proud, and she's going to be judged. And this is what he does through this section. He said, tell it not in Gath, uh, weep not at all. And this is a quotation of the lament of King David uh, over the death of King Saul. And uh, David cried this out, and uh, because of his concern that when the Philistines uh, heard in Gath uh, of the death of Saul, that they would rejoice over, uh, over his death. And so uh, uh, here Micah, he wishes that uh, the Philistines would never hear of the defeat of, of Judah or the, the near defeat of Jerusalem at the hands of the Assyrians be, uh, because he knew that the Philistines would it'd be a cause of celebration for them. He goes on to say, in Beth Arpha, uh, roll yourself in the dust. And Beth Arpha uh, literally means the house of dust or dust town. Uh, and so Micah is essentially saying, grovel in the dust in dust town. In other words, uh, Micah told the people of, of Beth Arpha to roll in the dust uh, as an expression of the calamity that is about to come upon them. And then he goes on and says, pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of Saphir. And Saphir means beautiful. It means beauty town. And uh, uh, Micah is saying to the residents of that city, you're going to be stripped of your beauty in, in beauty town. And then he goes on to say, the inhabitant of uh, uh, Za'ana uh, does not go out. And Za'ana means going out or uh, going out of town. And the idea is you'll no longer be going uh, out in going out of town. Instead, you're going to be, be hiding behind uh, your city walls. Beth Azel uh, mourns, its place to stand is taken away from you. And so Beth Azel means the house of nearness or proximity. It means neighbor town, uh, a place of protection, a place of refuge. And uh, Micah was saying uh, that she would offer no protection or refuge, that she would be in need of protection uh, her, herself. And then for the inhabitants of uh, Maroth, uh, the, the, the inhabitant of Maroth pined for good, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. And Maroth uh, means bitterness. It means bitterness town is the idea. So her uh, inhabitants would long for good. They would long for uh, the hope of assistance coming to them by the military uh, in Jerusalem. And, uh, but that re uh, relief would, would never ultimately come, and instead they become witter, uh, bitter at the news that uh, there was no one coming to help them uh, against the Assyrian army because Jerusalem would be uh, quite busy uh, protecting themselves. O inhabitant of Lachish, uh, uh, Lachish, um, harness the chariot to the swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin in the daughter of Zion. And so this was the place where idolatry uh, got its start within the land. God took note of that. And Lachish uh, 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 comes from a word that, that uh, refers to, to the steeds. And so he says uh, to the city of the to the steeds or to the horses, uh, 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 he tells them to go to the steeds, but uh, in order to escape the Assyrians, uh, not to uh, in, engage them, but to use them as a, a, a reason for running. For the transgression of Israel 
transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you shall give uh, presents to uh, Morsheth Gath. Morsheth Gath means the uh, betrothed of Gath. Presence speaks of the betrothal gifts that a, 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 a father gave his daughter when she got married. And so Jerusalem would give or would pledge uh, Morsheth uh, uh, Gath to Sennacherib, uh, the king of Assyria, uh, her enemy, as uh, indeed happened. The houses of uh, Oxib shall be uh, a lie to the kings of Israel. Oxib means deception. Uh, the idea is a false town, and she'd be unable to provide uh, help to Israel's uh, kings in the face uh, of, of the Assyrians, and apparently uh, this city had promised to give uh, help uh, to Israel in, uh, against the Assyrians, but would find themselves uh, unable to uh, provide that uh, to them. And then uh, I will bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Marashah, and Marashah uh, it, it means uh, possessor. And uh, again, this place would become a possession uh, of Sennacherib, and, uh, who is the heir that is spoken of uh, there. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. And uh, David, had, uh, you might remember, had escaped Adullam. Uh, for uh, refuge from, uh, he had escaped to Adullam for refuge from uh, King Saul. And uh, similarly, uh, uh, the, the glory of Israel, probably speaking of her leaders that were living there, would endeavor to flee Adullam uh, in, in shame for uh, refuge. But it would be of, of no avail at all. Uh, Assyria was coming to destroy and, uh, and attack Adullam. Uh, as uh, well. And so make yourself bald and cut off uh, your hair because of your precious children and enlarge your baldness like an eagle or, or like a buzzard uh, for they uh, shall go from you into captivity. And so now he uh, refers to the mourning that is going to come to the entire land because of this judgment of the northern kingdom of Israel, these uh, cities of, of the southern kingdom of Judah, and the people would be taken into captivity. They would shave their hands, heads, not in a minor degree uh, as an expression of mourning, but uh, as an a, a, a extreme expression of their mourning. They would shave their heads completely bald. They would look like uh, uh, bald uh, vultures. And so this is the, the poetic language that is used and um, I spent a little time on it for all of you poets and uh, people that love that kind of thing in the congregation. Would you just raise your hand, the one or two people that... Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and then into chapter 2. Woe to those, and, and uh, here God uh, condemns uh, and promises to, to judge the rich and the powerful who were using their power to oppress uh, the... the uh, 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 the poor uh, in their midst. Woe to those who devise iniquity and work out evil on their uh, beds. So uh, I trust that when we go to bed at night, our final thoughts are toward the Lord. Thank you for being good um, uh, uh, to me today. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, would you look over me or look over, or watch over us um, tonight? Give us a good night's sleep. We need it. And and uh, if you have problems with nightmares or weird things, Lord, keep those things away. These are the kind of things that, we, uh, that the righteous, and, and they should have been righteous in, in Israel. Those are, this is the way you close a day. And, uh, and instead, <clears throat> they would spend their final moments before they would go to sleep working out evil plans in their mind. And... Uh, in order that at the dawn they might then practice the plan that they came up with, and they did so because it was in the power of their hand. So you think about the kind of person who would use their final waking hours each day to plan the evil that they're going to do the next day. 
and what kind of a heart that is, what kind of a person that is, and for that to characterize the rich and the powerful in the land at, at that time, and then to wake up in the morning and, and, and get a good night's sleep thinking about the evil I'm going to do the next day, and then wake up in the morning and then proceed to do that. And this kind of thing was, was uh, uh, widespread. And we're told uh, uh, the reason that they did it, because it is in the power of their hand. So an absolute abuse of power. You know, we have a saying in our culture where we say, um, why did he do that? And, and the answer is, because he could. And, it, and it's an expression of arrogance. It's an expression of pride. They, do, they did this not because they're good, not because it was the right thing to do, but they did it because they had the power uh, to do it. And that's, why, that's the decision-making uh, that was going on here. It wasn't because it was right or it was uh, the best for people, uh, but it was because I have the power to do that. Now, I don't have a single person in my life that is characterized by what's described right here. Uh, but maybe you do, where you work in the world or where your contacts are, or what your family or others are in, in terms of life. But I think about how uh, ugly a person this kind of person is, how terrible it would be to even know one person like this in, in your life, and yet to have the rich and powerful, all of them within a nation, to be characterized uh, by this kind of thing. And what was it that they practiced? What was on their mind to accomplish? Uh, they covet uh, fields and take them by uh, violence and, uh, and, all, and also houses and uh, seize them. They also oppress a man and his house, a man and his uh, inheritance. And so they would take uh, the fields, the livelihood uh, of, uh, of the poor and of, of the powerless, and again, just using whatever means that they had, leverage that they had, and they would take the, the, the means of sustenance away from the poor and the powerless, just because I can. Just because the culture has become so corrupt that I can do this and nobody will blink at it. And nobody seems to be watching, except that God uh, was watching uh, the classic uh, illustration of this in Scripture, of course, is when Ahab wanted the vineyard of Naboth. And Naboth said, though he was poor and powerless, comparatively speaking, he said, I can't sell you my land for any price. This is the land that's been given to my family. My fathers gave it to me, and I have a responsibility to give it to my children. This is how we put food in our mouth as a family year in and year out. Ahab got angry about it, frustrated, and then he got on his bed and put his face to the wall, and Jezebel came in, kind creature that she is, and said, honey, what's wrong with you? And I wanted the, I wanted the, the vineyard of Naboth, and he wouldn't give it to me. I'll take care of it. And he, she arranges for the execution of Naboth in order to uh, gain his, his field uh, in, in that, uh, 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 that way. And so this was the kind of thing that uh, was going on. Uh, taking their fields, their livelihood there at the beginning of verse 1, and then even running them out of their houses. You think about that. One of the things, one of the most distressing things to me uh, about this uh, COVID uh, thing that has gone on for the last two years, or at least a year plus, is this latest thing that has gone on uh, on the part of our government in which uh, the uh, taking people's jobs away from them based upon whether they get a vaccine or not. I don't care whether a person gets a vaccine or not. That's an individual choice that a, a person can make. But I look at the federal government, and you can hardly botch uh, the handling of COVID in the United States of America and mixed messages and wrong information more than we've done it. And if people can't understand that this is going to make 
common people suspicious of what you have to say about what you want to put in their body, uh, then, I, then you're kidding yourself. But when they move to the place where they, now they involve, gover- they involve corporate, corporations now and local governments to do their dirty work that they cannot do according to the Constitution, and now cause people who have worked all of their lives to be able to gain the proficiency that they have, the livelihood that they have, the homes that they have, the reputation that they have, and you're going to take that away from them and strong-arm them in that way? No, no, you, you, you will lose a vi- That will be a violation of trust uh, that a generation of people Uh, will never give back to you. Trust is something you earn. Even as a government, you earn it. And when you lose it, it's very hard to get it back. And so for people to be taken and the food they put in their mouth, the very roof over their head put into play because this is what I want to do with them, uh, this is an abuse of power. This is doing something because I can. Not because it's the right thing to do or I have even communicated it well to the population. It is a power play. And, and that crosses a line that, that makes me upset. And I'm an understanding person on how hard it is to uh, lead things, uh, especially to at least try to understand what is involved in leading a, a country. But to use power and usurp it in this way is, is uh, 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 condemned uh, in, in using it uh, in this way. And you say, well, look, at he, he took Micah and found a way uh, to uh, bring the vaccine in. Well, I haven't talked about the vaccine the whole time, but, but this troubles me. This, this, this kind of thing uh, troubles me because I know how hard people work to put food on the table to eat every day, and how many years and decades they work to have a roof over their head. And to come in and strip that away because I can do it, that's, that's, uh, that'll get me angry whether it's righteous or not. You can hold a different uh, view. And in that day, one shall stand up, uh, uh, shall take up a proverb against you, and, uh, and lament with a bitter uh, uh, lamentation. In other words, at the fall of this kind of, uh, of, uh, of abuse of power by the powerful and the rich, uh, once they do fall, uh, the surrounding nations will develop a taunt, a taunting song uh, celebrating their uh, fall. We are utterly destroyed. He has changed the heritage uh, of my people, how he has removed it from me. Remember, God gave the land of Israel to the various tribes, and uh, that land was given by God to those tribes and then to those families, and that was God's gift to them. In this world, we are renting. Uh, the world belongs to God, and when He gives people land, and He gives land and sections of the land of Israel to various tribes, and then a person comes in and strong arms the people out of that land that God has given that land to, God takes notice uh, of it. And that's what He's talking uh, about uh, here. He's changed the heritage, that is the land uh, of my people. And... Uh, and um, and how he has, uh, he has removed it from uh, me to a turncoat, he has divided our fields, and therefore you will have no, uh, no one to determine uh, boundaries by lot in the assembly of the Lord. So God says, uh, you like to steal land? You like to oppress people? You like to take food out of their mouths? You, and I'm not talking about the federal government now, I'm just talking about in general. Shift gears, please. He said, you, you like to do this, uh, this kind of, uh, of, of thing to people on an, on an individual level as you dream uh, up these plans, take their land, take their food, 
he says, the day is coming when you won't need any surveyors to determine the boundaries of any land because I'm giving all of the land to the, uh, to the uh, Babylonians. I'll give all of it uh, to them. I will take it out of your hands in poetic justice, the same way that you took it uh, unjustly out of the hands of others. And do not uh, prattle, uh, you you say to those who prophesy, and so they shall not prophesy to you, and they shall not return insult for insult. And so uh, there were false prophets that were in the land that this is speaking of, and when a true prophet like Micah or Isaiah, would speak uh, the word. Of course, the great enemy to them was the false prophets that didn't want to hear uh, a message of returning to uh, God. And so they would tell uh, the true prophets or anyone speaking truth, don't don't come here and say that stuff. Go someplace else and speak for God and the truth for God. But don't do that that, uh, here. And you who are, are uh, named the house uh, of Jacob is the Spirit of the Lord uh, restricted. And so these false prophets would say to the true prophets, listen, uh, we're filled with the Spirit as much as you're filled with the Spirit, and we say God isn't going to judge us. We say that this isn't wrong uh, uh, to do. Who do you think that you are to say you're filled with the Spirit and, and uh, have a higher authority than, uh, uh, than we do? Uh, are these His doings? Do not my words do good to Him who walks uprightly? And God's rebuke then uh, of these false prophets. He said, lately my people have risen up as an enemy and, uh, and so here, long before the Assyrians or the Babylonians came into the southern kingdom of Judah and stripped it of its wealth and, um, and depopulated it by taking them uh, into captivity, long before they stripped the land and came in as an enemy to strip it of its wealth, the leaders and, and the, the, uh, the rich and the powerful in the land were already doing that. They were already doing that. Uh, they, they represented an enemy to the poor and the powerless. You pull the robe uh, off the robe with the garment uh, though, from those who pass by you as they pass by like men returned from war. You see something that you like when somebody's walking by and you just take, uh, take it right off of, uh, of, of their backs. And the woman, uh, women of my people, uh, you cast out from their pleasant homes, from their children you have taken my, uh, away my glory forever. And when he talks about women and children here, he's talking about widows, he's talking about the fatherless. Again, those who were powerless, they were being uh, oppressed, having their wealth taken away from them, and then dispossessed uh, of their homes, again because uh, they could. And to rise and depart, for this is uh, not your rest, because it is defiled, it, uh, it shall destroy. Yes, with utter destruction, if a man should walk in a false spirit and speak a lie, saying, I will prophesy to you of wine and drink, even he uh, uh, would be uh, uh, the uh, prattler of his people. And God is saying, and apparently the false prophets were uh, prophesying uh, to drink wine and to get drunk and to enjoy the times. This is the good life. No problem is going to come. And God is saying, the judgment will come and you will be exposed as a false prophet. You will be exposed as a, a prattler uh, instead of a true prophet to these people. And I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. And this is one of the beautiful characteristics about God is there's always an afterword. And he speaks now. I mean, the medicine has been very, very hard at this point, even though they didn't take it and should have. But he he likes happy endings. And so he moves now to a day in which a remnant of the Jewish people following the Babylonian captivity, that they would repent of their sins and come back into uh, the land 
uh, of, of Israel. And so he infuses hope into the situation, if not for the nation as a whole, for the godly remnant uh, that, that was uh, in, in the city and enduring this as, as difficult or in the, the kingdom as, with the same difficulty as, as Micah had. I will surely assemble uh, all of you, O Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. So he's talking about the entire nation, the southern kingdom, northern kingdom. When they come back into the land, they'll come back in as one nation, as, uh, as happened. I will put them uh, together like sheep of the fold, like a flock in the midst of their pasture. So he said, when they come back into the land, they will have plenty to eat, and they will make a loud noise because of so many people. In other words, the land is going to be depopulated by the judgment and the people being taken into captivity. Uh, but once again, uh, the, the land will be filled with the noise of people. And it's a wonderful sound, uh, 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 progress of... Uh, of, uh, of, uh, of humanity engaged in righteousness and moving forward and, uh, and, and all. And he's saying, your population will be restored. The one who breaks open will come up before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. Their king shall pass before them with the Lord at their head. And so this return in this prosperity, the repopulating of the land in the midst of this prosperity, partial fulfillment in the return from the Babylonian captivity, and, um, but its ultimate fulfillment will be at the time of, of the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ when he establishes his, his kingdom age. And so we'll stop there tonight, and, um, uh, and uh, uh, I hope that was obvious that we would stop there. What, what would you have done, though, just a, te a carnality test? What if I had gone into chapter 3? How bitter. How bitter would you? Okay. I mean, listen. So we will stop there. It constitutes a single message, and then we'll pick up the next message of chapters 3, 4, and 5, God willing, uh, next week. And so certainly we want to look at this and to look at our own hearts. We may not be kings. We may not be senators. We may not be uh, po corporate power brokers today or whatever. But to examine, um, how, do I, how do I treat people who have less power and less money than I have. There's a proverb that speaks about the fact that the worst king that a nation can ever get is a, is a slave who has been elevated to a king. And uh, if their character hasn't been developed for it as well, you see some of the people who uh, take positions of dictators in various nations within the world, they come from a place of poverty, they come from a place of, of a lower uh, uh, echelon in terms of, uh, of society, and they become the most brutal abusers of the poor uh, occurring in, in the world. And so to look at our own lives and to uh, check for how do I treat people? Um, and, and do I uh, uh, and want to make sure that we don't take advantage of people because we can or because we have the authority to do so or we have the muscle to do so. And, and so it's a wonderful passage. It's very, very much like so much of the major prophets and the minor prophets. And so it keeps these things uh, before us, even these same things before us. Now, for some people, all of this gets a little bit tedious, the repetition uh, of all of this, and I'm not putting you down if it, if, if it, if it does become tedious uh, uh, for, for you at all. But I just assume that this repetition is here because we need to hear it. And uh, I know that I need to hear it and to have this constantly be checking uh, my own, own life and uh, and trends in my life and where these things can end. So it's wonderfully instructive. But maybe for most of us in this room, there's not an exhortive element to the passage here tonight as much as the passage is just affirming what we already know in our hearts and in our lives and affirming the things that already characterize our lives. And that's a needed work 
so that when we see all of these other things that can be going on around us and all the pressure that can be put upon us and we turn to the Word of God and we see what He has to say in the light of the life that we're endeavoring to live and we say to ourselves, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm right. Because this is how God calls us to live. And that's a valuable thing. You ever listen to like a talk radio show or some other kind of a thing and somebody's speaking, even a sermon and whatever it might be, and, and somebody begins to speak something that you know to be true as well, but it's so out of step with the culture, the sinful culture around us, you, you think in your mind, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one who thinks this. He or she's saying the same thing. They see it too. And it does something uh, very good and encouraging in us. And so, at the very least, that it would uh, accomplish that uh, affirmation in our hearts as well. Let's stand together and, and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word tonight, for all of the purposes for which Micah was written and, and given to us. We do pray that wherever it is a, a, a place and a time for searching in our hearts over our mistreatment of people or our abuse of power or our abuse of whatever, whether in a marriage or whether in a family or whether in a workplace or a neighborhood or in ministry, wherever it might be, um, that you would use this time to cleanse us of something that is uh, so ugly as to do things just because we can. And then, Lord, we embrace the affirmation tonight of your word that we're on the right path, that we're on the winning side, that this is the way you want us to live as your people in this world. And tonight we thank you for that affirmation through the prophet Micah. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.